Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has another unique story. She's a published author and employee health and benefits consultant, but her career experience comes from a rare perspective. She previously worked at a SaaS company consulting with 95 of the top insurance agencies on innovative strategies to provide to their clients, aka employers. Now, let's look at this. People are a company's most valuable asset. We say that all the time, we hear it all the time, and providing best-in-class health benefits is a trademark of the tech industries. But guess what? It also opens the door for opportunity to increased waste and abuse. And that really doesn't correlate to increased productivity or much less the employee experience. Our guest has a personal story in this area that drives her, for which has made her a passionate mentor and advocate for people to be the CEO of their own health. Coming to us live from Norwalk, Connecticut, please welcome our disruptor, employee and health benefits consultant with Marsha McLennan agency, Lauren Randall. Thank you so much, KJ. I'm so happy to be on the show and speak to you today. Yeah, I am too. I love this CEO of your own health, right? And I want to get into all of that, but before we do, because you definitely have a very unique story, what's been your main ingredient for disruptive innovation that's driven you? Absolutely. So I would say without a doubt, it's perseverance over everything else. And as a female in a predominantly male industry, particularly from a sales and consulting perspective, perseverance has been key to my success. It hasn't been uncommon for me to be the only female on my teams, you know, for the past eight years, or to be one of another female out of a team of 70 people later in my career. And, you know, I've seen people work extremely hard to bring women into this industry and they end up leaving after a year or two years. And one of the key factors I have seen when asking these women why they left the industry was just how much rejection there was, just having a really hard time with the door being constantly slammed in your face and having a sales cycle that's two years long or having to play the long game. So perseverance has been key both personally and professionally for me to succeed and disrupt in this industry. Yeah, that's a really good one. And I have not heard that one before. I think I think that's an underlying character for a lot of innovators is having perseverance. But you're one of the few guests that I've had that are women. And really talking about being a woman in a male-dominated industry, I think perspective is critically important. Tell me, like, you know, when you said the door slammed in their face, the things like, we're going to get into the other parts of the status quo, but tell me what that's like in your particular industry and why is that? It's so funny because, you know, and my path was a little bit different 
most people don't go, I want to be an insurance broker when I grow up. We all kind of get here off of the beaten path. And I really stumbled upon this industry because I had a major health crisis at 19 and, you know, was able by fighting tooth and nail for over four or five years in treatment to get my life back. And I remember graduating college late, you know, saddled with medical debt, trying to help my parents pay some of those bills. And I was a barista at the time. Someone said, why don't you intern at the SaaS company? And I thought anything to get my foot in the door while I complete my thesis, I'll do whatever it takes. And I interviewed at this insure tech company in Milwaukee. They hired me and I came through the doors. I remember I sat next to someone who at my time was my rival and we were always competing with one another because there was only one full-time position. And I was just so excited and so grateful to be in this professional world that I wanted to do everything and anything I could to succeed. Within three months, I was offered a full-time position and I could look at any department I wanted to go in. As a journalism background, I thought naturally I'll be in the writing and content team. Like that'll be super fun. But I investigated all the different departments. And when I went over to sales and they were making cold calls, 80 cold calls a day, just some automated dialing. And it's just the rejection that you get when you're making cold calls. You know, I think Vince Vaughn started his career cold calling and he said that's what helped build the scar tissue for him to be a comedian. I loved it because I just thought you have to think outside the box. You have to be quick on your feet. You get to talk to people who are all different and do things differently. And I just loved it. But immediately when I started, I remember it's people hanging up on you, yelling at you. And I just thought, I can't do this. I, you know, and you hear that voice in your head, I can't do this. And in the insurance consulting industry, it's different than, you know, tech products or just traditional product industry, because you're literally forcing someone to break up a relationship many times, 10 years, 20 years in the making to for you to come in that door, they have to sever a relationship with somebody else. And that's a painful thing. And for a lot of us, we would rather continue status quo than feel that disruption. You know, as we talked about on the podcast, it's disruption. And so you're building that relationship one year, two years. I used to say you're putting a rock in someone's shoe. That's what my boss used to say. And over time, they'll finally just say enough is enough. I have to take this out. And so I think that's what makes this industry different than other industries, and particularly why that rejection is stronger, because it takes two wins in a year for you to be successful, two or three major wins. Whereas in other businesses, you're getting more stability, more consistency. Yeah, you know, two wins. I didn't think about that, right? I mean, that's a that's a big blow when you don't get it. Exactly. And, you know, some... Some deals I'm working, they're four or five years in the making. Some are 10 years in the making. Some are 20 years in the making. You're in it for these long-term relationships that last decades. And to build up that trust, because ultimately this is trust. I mean, health insurance is the most important thing to an employee outside of their salary. And it's the thing that we all think about. It's our health. It's our bodies. And you have to trust someone with this multi-million dollar expense and trust that they will take care of your employees. There's a big risk there and there's a big liability, which is why we have to be licensed for what we do. So, you know, I think that that's a major factor in terms of 
why it's just a different sort of selling environment. Yeah, totally. And I had no idea that it was a four or five year sales cycle, but that makes sense. So, so let's talk about the status quo of health benefits that employers offer, right? Employees. And, you know, your boss said it's like, you know, having a rock in a shoe. You're like, finally, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of it. Right. And you've had your own personal experience, but there's abuse, right? And there's waste. Tell me about that. And why is that? I mean, what is going on in that aspect? hundred percent. And one of the reasons I came into this industry was because of my own personal experience with the healthcare system, which dovetails into health insurance. You have the healthcare system, which is hospitals, providers, doctors, urgent care, emergency rooms, and then health insurance component of how you're paid, reimbursed, and how you cover those expenses long-term. You know, 20% of America's GDP is healthcare. It's this big sort of behemoth that encapsulates everything from private equity to hospitals and providers to our government. Everybody, including brokers, has their hand in the pot of this profit center. And that creates a lot of inefficiencies and waste. And it could be something as simple as one in three need surgeries may not be necessary, may not be medically necessary. You could get a hospital, a Tylenol administered in a hospital setting, and they would charge you $400 for that at some facilities. Whereas you could go to Walgreens and get that for, you know, $5.99 and get an entire bottle. To your point, we have the concept that I really stand by, which is you have to be the CEO of your own health, which is what lifestyle changes can we make to impact our emotional and physical well-being for the long term? Over 50% of Americans have a chronic illness, and that's up significantly. And it'll continue to trend upward. I think it's up 50%. Over 50%. Over 50%. So we have one fifth of our GDP is the healthcare industry. I mean, that's huge. I'm so glad you called it a profit center. <laughs> it's a cost center to everyone else, but you know, everybody's got their hand in. I'm so glad you couched it in that way. And then over 50% of Americans have a chronic health condition. Like what? Correct. I mean, that could be everything from hypertension to diabetes to obesity to an autoimmune disorder, Crohn's, colitis, all of these different conditions that people are trying to manage and seek care for. And, you know, that's very different than in the past. And the whole concept of insurance is that the many will take care of the few. And that starts to sort of erode over time. If all of us are carrying chronic conditions, it makes it a lot harder to, to use that law of averages and numbers, and which is why medical inflation increases year over year. And we struggle to maintain healthcare costs. Inflation is a big deal right now. And you talk about yeah. medical inflation. What's happened since COVID in this arena? COVID has been fascinating because if you think about it, everything shut down during COVID. And the last place people really wanted to go was to the doctor's office because you just didn't want to expose yourself to COVID. And unless it was medically necessary, you may avoid some of those preventative care visits. So utilization was low during COVID. And a lot of employers saw flat costs or negative increases that year at their renewal. And it was kind of a, a good time as an employer. And again, these are blanket statements. Every group is different and individually underwritten based on their population, their demographics. But generally as a whole, that was the trend in the industry. And then the second year, 
we saw an uptick because all those people who didn't seek preventative care, who didn't, you know, maybe they had cancer, maybe, maybe they had these other conditions and they weren't able to get access to that treatment. Maybe they had cancer screenings that didn't happen or mammograms that didn't happen. And so we saw an uptick. And now what I personally am seeing from the raw claims data that we're looking at is substantially higher claims and substantially higher increase in utilization, people going out on leave, people stressed out and burned out at work, medical loss ratios increasing. I think it's a really difficult environment for employers this year and in the future, and it's going to be mission critical to think long term about how to maintain these costs. Sounds so disheartening, <laughs> right? And it is mission critical. How do we maintain these costs? I don't even know if it's maintaining the cost, but what do you have to do outside of the box? What's the innovation here? What, what's the advice that you have to provide? What creates less waste? What elevates the employee experience? Because, you know, frankly, the abuse and everything you're mentioning is something that needs to be halted. But what do you do about it? 100%. And every consultant is different. I mean, we have such, we have access to such amazing tools, but you're only as good as how you execute with those tools and how well you know them. And nobody's going to do everything at once. And you pair that with the level of disruption to the employees, because mm -hmm. there are plans out there. You know, there's a concept called reference-based pricing, which uses Medicare standards of what's, you know, usual, reasonable and customary. And it may be a percentage of costs. So you can stabilize those $400 Tylenols that are hospital administered and say, no, we are only going to reimburse you what's usual and customary based on this percentage of Medicare or whatever sort of the revenue arrangement is. But reference-based pricing tends to have narrow networks. And what happens is employees will get balance built. So you implement this sort of arrangement, the hospital's charging $15,000. And then the employer says, we're only going to reimburse 800 because that's what, what is reasonable and customary. And the hospital says, no, we don't agree with that. You owe us, you know, $14,200 and they charge the member. And that's a scary experience for a patient. You'll see New York Times and other newspapers publish these balanced billing situations that are hard. And so on the one hand, you have the employer trying to hold these providers and facilities accountable. But on the other hand, you have the disruption at the employee level, maybe having to seek legal action or settle some of these things. And reference-based pricing is also very hard to implement nationally with large employers. It works more in a smaller subset of an individual area or state. Why? Because they have the smaller network. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Those are the types of solutions that you can look at, but you always have to kind of do a cost-benefit analysis. And in such a tight talent market, employers are hesitant to make some of these super aggressive moves and it's also a very conservative industry so reference-based pricing is something that we tend to all look at as would love to see that increased transparency and visibility into costs and services and that accountability at the provider level but we're just not there yet as an industry in terms of implementing and executing this in a seamless way but there are programs and platforms amino being one that's a really cool system that uses, I think, over 12 aggregate claims databases to basically see all of these medical claims that are coming through. And they can back into what these in-network contract agreements are with the different insurance companies out there 
for each person's individual health plan, because every individual health plan has different costs, different services, depending on the company that you're with. So they can back into those costs and they can predict what it may cost. Say you sprain your ankle in Louisiana and you wanna know who's the best doctor I can go to within a 20 mile radius. And they're pulling that data and they're telling you approximately how much it might cost for your plan. I think within 90% accuracy, which is a lot better, better than some of the different numbers you're seeing on carrier websites. And then they'll also tell you a value care rating, which means, you know, this doctor has seen over 200 patients with strained ankles, has performed this many surgeries. So you're pairing that quantitative dollar sign data with also the valued outcomes, right. because that's also super important. So the technology out there, I think, has done a really great job, hopefully increasing the consumerism, because you have to do a lot of things like I as the broker to cut out waste in pharmacy benefits, for example. But at the employee level, you also have to give them the tools and resources to be a powerful consumer and make sure they're seeking the right care from the right people in order to decrease costs. Is that really part of the disruption? Because as a broker, you typically in the past are the status quo, I mean, you've been the broker for the employer. I've never really experienced that on the side of caring for the employee. I've been on the that end of the side, <laughs> that end. I mean, you have your plan and that's it, right? But is that something new to the dynamic because of everything that's happening and the driving healthcare costs and, you know, the balance billing that's happening and great resignation and going to other companies, like hopefully with greener pastures or better benefits? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And I think the industry as a whole has evolved substantially from the Affordable Care Act to now. And when I talk to people who have been in the industry 20 or 30 years, they're okay with telling me, you know, 30 years ago, we took someone out for a round of golf and collected six figure commissions. And that's what we did. We created the policy for them. We designed the policy. And then whenever employees had any issues, we picked up the phone and helped them with those issues. And that was our job. And then the Affordable Care Act came out and compliance became this huge regulatory thing. Penalties came out and employers really needed assistance beyond the realm of just benefits, but compliance, HR, all of these different areas. And then that's around the time that I also kind of entered the industry through this insure tech firm. And our pitch used to be, you know, 95% of brokers say they're different because of their people, service and expertise but we have analytics, we have technology, we have all of these different systems that help you prove your value as a broker and be a consultant, not a broker. That I think is how the industry has evolved. It's had to evolve because of how the landscape has changed. And I truly think that today's brokers and consultants need to look and think outside the box. They need to be talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. They need to talk about the impact on the benefit plan. They need to talk about mental health, employee assistance programs, fertility benefits for employers who are trying to attract women, and all of the different issues out there. Sadly, I don't think a lot of brokers are. I really think COVID and the pandemic, HR overnight became a risk officer, a nurse, it was the job of the broker and still is to help them with return to office, to help them figure out, are we going to create a hybrid workforce? And if we are, how do we modify our policies? PTO, that was a big question during the pandemic. 
People aren't using PTO and they're working all the time. Should we modify our policy? That's where I think a broker needs to add value. In addition to just helping with the costs and making sure that employees understand and can be educated consumers of their benefits. That's really very interesting. So in the past two years, there's been a huge amount of disruption in the workforce, a huge amount of disruption in people's tolerance for things, a lot of stress, a lot of people resigning from their jobs. And I never thought about how that would impact employee benefits. But you're saying all of this disruption has impacted it greatly. I mean, even down to diversity and inclusion, right? And I want to understand more about that. So you have this catalyst, like it was the catalyst COVID. It was an earlier catalyst in SureTech, but let's just say catalyst for COVID right now. Yeah. And brokers sadly aren't thinking outside the box. I mean, I'm sure it's overwhelming, but how would they do that? Even, and you'll talk about the most recent Supreme Court ruling and the impact that's had on health plans and how employers take care of all people with all different viewpoints on a very sensitive topic all across the country with different state legislation. What I'm starting to realize and have realized by being in this industry for the past five years is that there's always a disruption and you as the broker can look at it as an opportunity to cave and wish that things don't change or you can see it as a true opportunity to bring value to your clients before anybody else and to rise to the occasion and persevere as we talked about. And that's something that's true during COVID. I mean, I had more appointments with employers during COVID than ever before. And it was because I was hosting roundtables around, let's get HR together, let's get finance together, let's talk about what they're doing. Let's talk about what we should be doing, what we aren't doing. Let's talk about how you're handling this. And I don't profess to have all of the answers, but we need to be at least addressing it in a proactive fashion. And that's where you really learn, both from your clients and prospective clients, what they care about, what's the next trend in the talent market, what should we be thinking about, and how does that impact benefits? And that's what's made me really realize that so much of this does impact benefits. Even just, for example, digital optimization. I saw a lot of employers during the pandemic looking at their payroll systems and their HRAS systems or human capital management systems and saying, we need to optimize now in case we have a remote workforce in the future or whatever we need. We can't be in a paper system. We stepped up and we created a whole technology center of excellence here at Marshall McLennan to help them RFP those vendors, to help them evaluate those relationships. We created our DEI practice during the pandemic because all these companies were trying to hit these metrics and environmental, social governance, sustainability, all these millennials in a tight talent market and different generations want more from their companies. And so we created an ESG risk rating tool and we factor that in. So I think it's it's what you make it as a broker, but I just think a lot of people want more from an advisor today. And it all does kind of fall around people. And if you think about it, employee benefits is not just health. It's what, what benefits you offer employees to be an extension of the mission, vision, and culture of your organization. How are you gonna get people in the door? How are you gonna take care of them? point blank. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we have the best in class resources and benefits so that people want to stay. It's so very interesting because you're talking about 
just like many things in our society, industries that have been sort of siloed off. And now we have this perfect storm of everything being interconnected and interrelated. And I've never seen it so much since COVID, right? But how all of this, these cultural shifts that are happening is now affecting or probably always has been, but really affecting the employee benefits, right? How do brokers keep up? Is it technology? Is it a mindset? Do you have to have, is it a new type of shift in brokers? What is it? You have to have best in class teams and best in class clients for me. The reason I keep up is because my clients are progressive clients who are always ahead of the curve who are always looking at what's next and they really care about their people. So they're coming to me. So I have to be on top of these things. You have to be personally invested and passionate. You know, that's something that we talked about in the beginning. I don't do this just for the money. I mean, I want to be successful and I'm happy to be successful, but I do this because I genuinely care about moving this industry forward. It's cathartic for me because of what I went through. And I realized what I went through at 19, maybe what my employers, employees are going through, you know, one individual. And if I can help them navigate and be empowered, that's a win to me. If I can help systemically, if I can throw one star, starfish back into the water, that means something to me. So I think you have to be personally driven in a way that you're reading articles about this for fun. You're keeping abreast of these changes, but also I have clients who care just as much and that helps me stay abreast. You have to be agile as an organization as well. And I think McClendon Agency is a part of this bigger ship, Marshall McClendon Companies, which is Fortune 100 company with over 80,000 employees. And we're still very entrepreneurial in spirit and we're agile and they're very open. You know, if I come to my leadership and say, we need to be doing something about this, they listen. And that's been super powerful because I said, diversity, equity, and inclusion is not going away. I mean, think about it. If you want a gender reassignment surgery or some sort of surgery to affirm your gender and the plan doesn't cover it and you're a media company, what does that say about your mission and vision? So it is a benefits discussion. And I had those discussions internally. And within six months, we built a practice. You have to have that agility as an organization to be entrepreneurial in spirit. You make mistakes in that process. Sometimes you see things that would be great and you think they're going to really take off and they don't. But you really have to be able to pivot in our environment to always kind of know what's next and what you should bring to add value to the table. Yeah, that makes sense. You do have to stay on the cutting edge today. Everything is disrupting. You mentioned something earlier. I was going to ask that question. What are some of the the trends that are happening right now? And what are these progressive companies doing about it? Yeah, so a lot of my background, I work in financial services quite a bit, the hedge fund space, private equity, which tends to be predominantly male. And because of that, it was really hard for me to get my foot in the door originally. I was moved all the way from Wisconsin. I'm in New York City, Midwest, young woman, fish out of water and trying to get my foot in the door. And I just, I couldn't. I started to reach out to C-suite women in the hedge fund space, financial services space through press releases. 
And I said, I don't want anything from you. I would love to just buy you coffee and learn about the industry so that I can bring more value. So many were open to meeting. It was really refreshing. And I met with them and they had a lot of the same issues. And I thought, would you like to meet your peers? I mean, I know you may be competitors, but would you like to meet other women in C-suite positions in your industry? And almost all of them said yes. And then I started to bring tech in and not just hedge funds. And then it was like, all right, you have this perspective and this sort of box that you're in, but then you have this perspective and we're all learning from one another. But that, I tell you about that because that forced me to see the world very differently. These are predominantly male organizations that struggle to bring diverse talent in for many reasons, you know, are a challenge. The pipeline is just not there. And so what are you doing to increase that pipeline? And maybe it's we need to expand our Ivy League pedigree to other colleges or right. maybe it's let's offer very rich fertility benefits, egg freezing, all of these things that may be keeping women from pursuing a career in this area. Let's offer childcare benefits. You know, we've even talked about, you know, there's services like Alfred that are kind of like a concierge or a butler. And how can we get working women to have access to someone who does the laundry, who does these <laughs> things that they so good. can't do, yeah. you know, and, or equal paternity leave. If you want good maternity leave benefits, you could start with paternity leave. It's a predominantly male organization. Offer the benefit to men as well as women if you stand for something. So those are some of the progressive benefits that I have seen kind of as a result of the pandemic, but also just kind of a result of the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, the world we want to live in today. What are some success stories that you can have? You don't have to name the clients, but some success stories you've had of being progressive and companies doing this and how it's impacted all the way down to the employee level, because that's all that matters. Absolutely. So there's so many different examples of success. I mean, I had a client last year that I onboarded very late in the game and we uncovered the commissions were pretty substantial, but they were higher than benchmark to me. And that's something I'm always transparent with my clients about. Let's enter a fee arrangement. I don't want a pay raise when your medical premiums increase by 40%. So we leveled and normalized their commissions substantially. And then we saved them almost a million dollars on their health insurance and kept their current benefits in place just by using our team of underwriters actuarial and actuarial consultants and basically going back to the underwriters and actuaries at the insurance company and saying, your math doesn't align with the models and, and projections that we ran. This is what it should be. And then working super hard to market and negotiate. So that's the cost savings. Story. That's a great example. And you know that people may not realize that but that does impact the employees when you have a million dollar savings in that that's money that companies can invest back into more jobs, more expansion, people that really take care of their people and care about their company. That's really what they want to do. It's not just yeah. saving money to save money. I'm glad you brought that up. 
Yeah, well, and they had a wellness budget too of over $25,000. So it's like whether we implement a, a mindfulness app like Calm that employees can offer and their kids can use, or however those funds are allocated, I mean, that's a success story. And, you know, for example, for another employee, you know, they wanted to get top surgery and it wasn't covered by the current health plan. So we basically consulted with the employer and said, based on your culture and your values, you should really be offering this benefit. And the financial exposure is X, it's pretty minimal. We're able to modify the plan language, make sure it was in compliance. And the client was able to offer this employee this surgery. And to me, that's that's a small win, but it's also a big win. And we said, you know what, we shouldn't stop there. If you're just gonna offer this one elective surgery, we should make sure any surgery that falls sort of within this DEI realm is offered within this sort of financial exposure you want to cap and so those to me are wins as well making sure a company's mission and vision aligns with what they're offering in their benefits package yeah that's really important aligning it to their purpose how does this align with your own purpose of having people be ceo of their own healthcare? Yes. So for me, I'm just extremely passionate because of my own story. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease at 19 and I was literally told this is going to be the rest of your life. You may lose your hair. You're going to be on medications for the rest of your life. Back to that common three theme and thread of disruption. I just remember in my heart, in my spirit, I said, that's not true. I will persevere. I, you know, it almost at the time it felt like denial and maybe it wasn't healthy but i just refused to accept this reality Good to the point you. where Good my parents you. were like you're insane but i just said give me time to figure this out and i changed my diet changed my lifestyle i read different books and i remember the physician at the time said to me you could die i mean he's like your condition is one in which if you do not take these immune inhibitors you could you could come in here for a blockage and you could die. And I just said, I'm willing to take the risk. Maybe I was just young and naive at the time, but within six months, I was at the Mayo Clinic getting a second opinion. And they said, there's no signs of this disease to the point where we have to call the prior medical center's diagnosis misdiagnosed. Wow. You know, even they, they had all the evidence, all the footage, all the film to show that it was there. And that's when it really opened my eyes to the fact that the body is an extremely powerful thing and nobody is going to save me but me. You know, you have an issue with your car, you're beholden to the person you give your car to. And all of us have been through that situation where we're like, do I trust you? Do I really need to, to change the brakes? Do I really need to do this? But your body is something you cannot it's not a commodity. No, I can go get another one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so you may not be a doctor, you may not have an MD, but you are the only one who can make decisions on your own health. And so I would just encourage, and I always encourage everyone to question what's around you, get second opinions. If one in three knee surgeries are unnecessary, are you getting a second opinion? And there are programs out there that we can implement with employers to allow employees to get world-class second opinions, peer-reviewed opinions. But you have to be CEO of your own health because nobody else has the same skin in the game as you. 
it's tough to have that kind of accountability, but when you have no choice, that's kind of the, the path that you have to take. And that's what I've learned so much from. And so as passionate as I am about everything we're doing at the employer level, I know that ultimately all of us have to take responsibility for our lifestyles and the part that they play in chronic conditions. What can employees, employers do to help their employees understand that aspect of their health and their own responsibility there. It's not just, I got benefits, set it and forget it. Totally. And it's it's tough because everybody's sort of, it's the balancing act of, we want our employer to provide these benefits, but we also don't wanna make our employer privy to our lifestyle and our protected health information. And, you know, it's kind of this weird convergence of two different areas. But I would say a company's culture, mission, and vision, and this is something that we saw during the pan pandemic, and I actually brought in burnout experts to talk to some of my clients, mm. and they said productivity during the pandemic was higher for employers who had employees who aligned with the mission and vision of the organization. And I remember at MMC, you know, our peer groups and other insurance companies were laying off employees and it was a really scary and hard time. And our CEO at the time came out and said, nobody's losing their job for the rest of this pandemic. Your jobs are safe. People come first. And all of us felt so good about where we worked and it made us work harder, I think, and feel more confident in the employer that we were working for. And so I think that's one aspect of it. The mission and vision and culture of your organization can drive lifestyle outcomes, maybe potentially more than sort of a wellness program, but they're all kind of tied together. And we actually have wellness consultants who help custom design different programs. So maybe it's, you know, you're a large employer who has a diabetic population, and maybe you look at your plan and you see that, you know, a lot of these people aren't taking their regular medications. So maybe there's a copay attached to those medications and you're saying, let's remove the copay. And you can look at the analytics to see, did that move the needle, did it not? So on a larger basis, those are some of the things that you can do, but it could be as simple as offering Peloton classes or group yoga, or it really just depends on the organization, but I think creating that culture around just taking care of people can go a long way to improve productivity, decrease stress, and decrease burnout. I think you communicated it very eloquently that employee benefits really has to align with the employee employer culture because the purpose and what they do and why they're doing it is how they attract those particular employees. And that has everything to do with taking care of their human capital. 100%. Yeah. I know you're, you had an epiphany at an early age. You became super passionate, became CEO of your own healthcare. Now you're like, yeah, I'm going to help employers handle this, right? And help them help their employees be CEO of their own healthcare. What do you, what do you do outside of work? What, what are your crazy passions? Yes. So I'm writing two books and, you know, one's fiction, one's nonfiction, kind of about what I went through. It's called The Journey to Here, which is for me, sort of this philosophical, you're trying so hard at a young age to try and get to this prolific trajectory and it takes you back where you started and, but just with a different perspective. And then outside of that, I love playing Frisbee with my dog and 
probably me just saying the word frisbee may wake him up but um <laughs> what kind of I dog also, is it he's a greyhound mix he's a rescue oh i love greyhounds yeah so he's he's a big part of my day and then i love drawing sailing has been a really fun experience for me my boyfriend and i sail quite a bit during the summer and skiing and just gardening too has been kind of a fun thing for me although i don't really have a green thumb lately <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of an oxymoron right you, you garden and then they die is that what happens <laughs> exactly well you know we wanted to grow some tomatoes this year but ended up with like 30 tomato plants instead of anything else so i may have a green thumb for tomatoes but just no other vegetables what'd you do with all the tomatoes <laughs> they're they're all flowering so i'm i'm gonna have to make some pasta or something but pasta tomato bisque soup um tomato in the south we have tomato sandwiches with mayonnaise like i know that may sound gross but you know really interesting. straight out of the garden it is so yummy put some salt awesome on it good. yeah there's tons of stuff you can do but yeah i don't know if you'll ever get sick of like tomatoes out of the garden but you can create so many of them that you're gonna have to give them away i wish you were closer to me <laughs> i know yeah i'm gonna have to can them and send you some <laughs> yeah that would be awesome that'll be a new passion of yours canning tomatoes yes exactly yeah <laughs> lauren how do people get a hold of you yes so i do linkedin videos all the time pretty accessible on linkedin but happy to share my contact information with you email text i'm pretty visible on social media as well as the marshall McLennan agency sites and then you know i formed women to women exchange which is basically a platform for women in leadership, both future and promising females, emerging leaders to come together to kind of mentor, nurture one another and create business growth opportunities. So I can provide you with the website for that. Membership is free. We hold roundtables and we're hoping to do more in-person events now that things have kind of normalized a little bit. But those are some great ways to get a hold of me. Is your thank you for that. And Tell me a little bit more about your women's group. Is this like something that's regional in your particular area? Is it national? You said you're going to have more in-person events, but yes. I, I know you've been doing this since you started. And I think the women that you started to interview with your journalistic background really was the impetus and inspiration Absolutely. for you on this. It hundred percent was, you know, all these women wanted to come together and I created this platform and we would meet for quarterly breakfasts. And then I wanted to formalize it more into women's women exchange. When the pandemic hit, we went virtual and I was able to expand our footprint outside of just the tri-state area. But I still feel for these types of conversations, the in-person environment is really nice. So I'd, I'd like to maybe hold two events a year in person, probably in the tri-state area, but who knows? But we also meet virtually just for Zoom calls. And what's the purpose of this group? What's your mission statement there? Yeah, so it's really meant to cultivate relationships between women in all trajectories of leadership for mentorships and also business growth opportunities. You know, in the same way that I think insurance is kind of a good old boys network and you know if you played lacrosse or you came from a certain pedigree that's a connection point that fosters and cultivates organic business growth opportunities and there's nothing wrong with that but we as women leaders also have some of those 
you know, opportunities to cultivate relationships in an organic way that's meaningful to both of us. And that's really what I think Women to Women Exchange is designed to do to cultivate those relationships. And also it's a way for me personally to give back to young women who may be earlier in their career and maybe I can share with them some of the blind spots that I had or some of the things that I learned the hard way and give back. That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely make sure we share that link. Perfect. So Lauren, thank you so much. This has really been eye opening about employee benefits. Um, had no idea how much culture is affecting that particular area and what that is doing for employers and the whole employee economic HR landscape. It's been fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, KJ. I look forward to listening to more of your podcasts and I love what you're doing. Thanks. Thanks so much. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit from this show. Thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. And there's the dog in the background. <laughs> He's like, it's time for Frisbee. <laughs> time for Frisbee. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.